episode 201. Hey. Yeah, 201. A New Hope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting that in, by the way. I knew you would. You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for October 11th, 2013. It's not safe for work. Recorded live while trying not to run down the middle of Main Street yelling, We told you so! It's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Restraint. How many times did people talk about false equivalence this week? Uh, It felt like everybody was listening to our podcast for a year or or 200 episodes. The only person who didn't mention it was the pastor of the church. But he did. But he did. He He snuck it in there. He's very good at sneaking in liberal uh, propaganda without saying so. Um, I I borrowed freely from uh, his... uh, Sermon? Okay, I, I I take notes during you take sermon. notes during sermon because it's all podcastable. Well, it's also he's a, he's a good storyteller. He is, and, and it's this sort of calm, quiet, nice place um, where people are really sort of thinking, and they're they're not they're taken out of there every day, and that's a really good thing for a writer to be. Well, and he's knocked. someone. This is this is someone that I admire because he is uh, in a church full of I'm not not stock full, but right. with a number of older white congregants. Yes. And he's a big Ed Schultz fan and a big labor, pro-labor person. And not, I mean, it's easy for him because part of what the United Methodist Church is all about is serving and mission and help the poor, help the poor, help the poor. So he can, you know, in the context of asking people to contribute to a food drive for the food bank that we pretty much hold up, uh, I, I wouldn't say single-handedly, but certainly we're one of the huge contributors to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he can he can in the context of that talk about hungry people without sounding like a radical liberal yeah. person. You know, he doesn't have to he doesn't have to go far from the the stream of thought that the church is teaching in order to make his point. So yeah, you're not going to ever hear the prosperity doctrine. No, <laughs> you're never going to hear. Look, you know, I will tell you this now that we're getting into church and religion and stuff. Uh-huh. I was at a Bible study at an, a downtown wealthy white Anglican church in Birmingham, Alabama. Actually, it was the cathedral. You can, if you know Birmingham, you know which church I'm talking about. Birmingham, Alabama. And the pastor, one of the junior pastors, because there were a lot of them, was doing this Bible teaching. And he read this thing from Paul, and it talked about sin and how we have to be really alert. And we and Paul did this a lot, and I, I mean it gets really heavy after a while, and I admit that. Mm-hmm. But he was the the verses that we were actually talking about were about our responsibility, and right. I actually want to get into this in relation to the Republican Congress. Yeah. What is our responsibility? First responsibility is to wake up to sin and snap out of it, and then do what God wants us to do. And that's pretty much what Paul was saying. Yeah. So he's talking and going on, and I raised my hand and asked this question. I said, what about this passage that talks about, you know, snapping out of it? The pastor said, we're all basically good people here. (gasps) 
Wow, boy. Talk about prosperity. Doc. Talk about self-satisfied bullshit. Yeah, you kind of missed the whole point of that. I did not go back to any more Bible studies there after that. I was like, oh. I gotta go now. <laughs> well, and and the, the and again, we're, this is not a this is not the. I'm not trying to. Drift, I don't know where, how we got off on this tangent well, right at the beginning. I, I want to say this is not the drift glass and and blue gal uh, sermonette sermonette hour. But <laughs> no. but what it is is there there are people that we interact with every day, whether you're an atheist or or a or okay. a fundamentalist or whatever you are on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we're talking about, about you, Andy. And we're talking about you. Andy wrote me and said, I'm yeah. going to be really surprised. You keep talking about atheists going to heaven. I'm going to be really surprised as an atheist if I wind up in heaven. Well, you know, I forget who uh, I forget who who said it. It was um, a reporter. It was uh, the, the guy who did the reporting for the, the monkey trial. His oh, yeah. Name, who said, if I get if, if I'm wrong, then I will walk up to God manfully and I will apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Something like the words to that effect. But it was um, it, it's the idea that that. Wherever you are on that spectrum, we still live in a society where we are obliged either to each other because mm-hmm. we want to live in a human society where people are are well taken care of and we want to live, live in the smartest possible configuration of human culture that we can for our own self-interest because we love our family and we love our community or because we're serving God or whatever, whatever, you, whatever reason you have. There are certain moral choices you make, mm-hmm. certain priorities you set, and it is – interesting to watch people reverse engineer the uh, moral choices they want to take Mm -hmm. into some kind of ethical structure that doesn't hold up to the slightest bit of scrutiny when you push on it. So, for example, Congressman Yoho, who the third district in Florida, uh, decided he's totally cool with defaulting on the debt. It'll Uh, stabilize the economy. It'll stabilize the economy. Yeah. Now, is that remotely true? No, of course not. Is it remotely true that if you read the New Testament and you filter out all the weird stuff, it's 80%. You have to save the poor. You have to help the yeah. poor. You have to love each other. You have to be servants to each other. You have to, and you have to, you have help to love people. justice and do fairly with your fellow man yes. and but serve. That is a very yeah. radical and inconvenient message to people who want to talk about tax cuts. Well, and, and that to me is where I think I have ended up this week in terms of my thoughts about the Republican Congress and the Tea Party is, you know, they're, they really are suffering from a delusion. And the delusion is, I think, religious ba- religion-based. And that's going to make our atheist listeners very happy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, is, it is it is the the debt delusion and the government delusion and all of the delusions that are out there. But they actually believe that someone being dependent on government for anything means they're not dependent on God. Right. And that is in the center frame of their triptych around which they built all of their philosophy, ignoring the fact that they are white middle-class Americans who have so much provided for them in the world economy. Yeah. But they base that, we've talked about this before, they base that their prosperity is based on being Christian. So yeah. no, no, and your prosperity is not. <laughs> you won. You won the birth lottery. Yeah, and you got born into the right country at the right time for you. Yep, and that's great, and that's wonderful, and and you should you know you should go with God. 
But the idea that you have have nothing, you owe nothing to anyone that went before you, anyone after you, and the idea that you cannot understand that when these things were written, the church was the state. Yep. And that if you ask any any officer of any charity anywhere, they're going to tell you, number one, there is no way we could pick up the slack if the government stops doing what we do yep. at all. And a lot of them get their funding from the government, that they're always short. I mean, just the areas of government that I worked with, it was always, you know, we could cover 5% of the need out there. 95% mm -hmm. wanting, and that was with as much money as you could possibly glean from as many possible sources. Well, I so just realized, I just realized that I shared this on Facebook and I didn't share it with you and you're not on Facebook. Uh -oh. There are 700 ho technically homeless children mm -hmm. in Springfield, Illinois alone. That's a yep. community of 100,000 people. There are mm -hmm. 700 children that doesn't count their moms and dads. That doesn't count anybody else who are either sleeping on a couch, sleeping in a shelter, or on the street. Yeah. And, you know, if only the churches would do that. Well, I agree with that. It would be great if all the churches got together, raised millions of dollars, fought for affordable housing, provided affordable housing. You know, the, the one of my classmates from high school said, oh, you know, the churches should be doing this. Uh-huh. And I said to her, that would be awesome. Let's start with these kids need a bed and a kitchen. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about that? How many Habitat homes can I contribute to in a year? Mm -hmm. And the churches are not doing that. No, they can't. <laughs> Michelle Bach and Michelle Bachman's church isn't doing that. They, they are can't. not. Well, they can't. I know. They, they can't. They, and they, this is. The churches could be. See, this is when I get a little bit. I know I sound a little bit like a hypocrite because I'm so in favor of separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. But people of faith need to get active about doing things to fix the economy so that there are not homeless children. We yes. can do it. Yes. It's it's the difference, as a friend of mine used to say, between um, helping the poor and ending poverty. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a huge difference in your methodology if you have – if one of – and both of them are perfectly noble goals. Mm -hmm. But one of them is very short. By the way, I want to sneak in that the reporter I was thinking of was H.L. Mencken. Yes. H.L. Yes. Mencken. And I had just had a little. He's, he would manfully walk up to God and apologize. And apologize. Yeah. I'm sorry. And, and he would take and he would uh, he would forgive me because that's what God does. <laughs> um, but this is actually jumping a little bit ahead in our in our little in our notes here. This is the the re-rise of the Borges, the re-rise of the city Absolutely. state. Yep. The idea that. The federal government, and this is, you know, I hate to say this because I sound a little conspiracy money, but this is part of the plan. It's to break the yeah. federal government so irreplace or, or irreparably yep. that you have no other choice but to fall back on your own resources. And at, at that point, you become directly and personally dependent on noblesse oblige. Mm -hmm. On, on and, a billionaire offering to fund Head Start, which is, by the way, not going to happen. No. No. But, you know, yeah, why don't we make our public education system just like our stadiums? Right. And we'll just give a corporate name to every one of them, and that'll take care of it, and then we won't have to pay taxes. There are people who think that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a wonderful <laughs> idea. And and the, the problem having— That destroys society. That destroys our ability to work together as a community. It really does. And it throws us back to a feudal system 
where yeah, it's not closer to God because you're not depending on government to depend no. on the Koch brothers. You're, you're it's not. On, you're depending on the Borges. Yes. As opposed, and and they are they become the owners, the direct owners mm-hmm. of 95, 98 percent of all property and the wealth. Yeah. yeah. And all the wealth, and they will simply allocate to you and to the art museum and to the opera and to whatever else they want allocated to, whatever they think you deserve. And they will act in their own interest. And the ones who take a pr- take pride in their community will make their communities lovely places. And I've been to places like that, and they're, they're beautiful. But the idea that you run a society like you would Renaissance Venice, yeah, where you just entirely depend on um, whether or not the bankers want to see you starve. And mind you, the, the bankers now, I, I can't speak with any authority, but the, the corporate the, – the thing that has changed is – the Randite libertarian ethos. Mm-hmm. It used to be the case that there was no shame in in depending on rich on the rich on the on the lords and ladies because they did have a, a noblesse oblige. It was the obligation of the noble to take care of the poor. They, they mm-hmm. took, took care of them in sucky ways, but there was a sense that it was your right as a as a peon as a serf to to get certain things, and it wasn't yeah. shameful that you were dependent on them because that because they owned everything. Well, gleaning, gleaning the field. You got, you got what the land, landlord didn't pick up off the ground. That was yours. That was yeah. yours. But, yeah. but later, and it was a horrible. I'm not saying it was a horrible thing, and it was system. You're dirt poor if you're doing that. But Absolutely, layer, and it's not layer, fair. But layer on top of that, a modern, high tech uh, society plus an ethos that says if you're poor, you're morally inferior. Yes, right. If you're poor, you're probably meant to be poor. Uh, if you're poor, it is your own goddamn fault. And the best thing I can do for you is to kick you in the throat until you pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Because yeah, yeah. then you'll be closer to God. That's, or, I mean, really, that's it. Well, that's or, really or because Ayn Rand says so. Yeah. Because the best well, thing you can do is atheist. serve your... That's true. Yeah. That's true. But that, that's where those two ideologies overlap. Yeah. And the idea that not just that that's where we're headed, but that, that there's a lot of people, not surprisingly, fundamentalist people and rich people who think that's a really good place to be. That's an excellent place for it. So we wreck the government at the federal level, just make it completely unfunctional, un- ungovernable. We cut as many programs as we can. We we constantly this – is, this is where um, I was going to read a little bit from They Thought They Were Free, mm-hmm. um, which is you, you simply keep the government in a permanent state of crisis mm-hmm. to the point where it has a nervous breakdown and collapses. And then you say, OK, we're just going to let – the free market fill in whatever's left. And and we found that line where the, 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 the Koch brothers don't want to cross, which is crashing the global economy because they have lots of money invested in the global economy. So they want to take it right after the line. So it is this constant you know, shock doctrine approach to yep. just keep terrorizing and freaking out and, and precipitating one completely artificial crisis after another until the population is so exhausted and so overworked and so unemployed and so hungry and so burned out, they'll just say, fuck it, fine. You know, if 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 Coke Industries is going to put my kid in school and and put a meal on my on my uh, on my dinner table at night, fuck freedom, fuck this democracy nonsense. That's fine. And that's the end game. And that's the end game. And that's the, and we're in the middle of fighting a pitched battle over that longer war right now. And frankly, we're not doing so well. There's a Milton Mayer. I should I should preface this by saying this was a guy writing about Nazis, and I don't want to draw any Nazi metaphors. The reason Obamacare is bad is because Hitler. Hitler. <laughs> but I do want to mention this this um, idea that uh, Milton Mayer covered, 
which is how Germany slid into that catastrophe. And so it's a very long essay, but I'll just read two very quick portions of it. You see, my colleague went on, one doesn't see exactly where or how to move. Believe me, this is true. Each act, each occasion is worse than the last one, but only a little worse. You wait for the next and the next. You wait for one great shocking occasion, thinking that the others, when such a shock comes, will join you in resisting somehow. You don't want to act or even to talk alone. You don't want to go out of your way to make trouble. Why not? Well, you are not in the habit of doing it. And it's not just fear, fear of standing alone that restrains you. It is also genuine uncertainty. Keep everyone off balance. Keep them not sure if the government's going to be here tomorrow. Park's going to be open. I don't know. Airplane's going to crash out of the sky. Who knows? Keep everybody completely uncertain all the time. And here's the second paragraph. But the one great shocking occasion where tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands will join you never comes. That's the difficulty. If the last and worst act of the whole regime had come immediately after the first and smallest, thousands, yes, millions would have been sufficiently shocked. But it never works that way. Mm-hmm. It's just constantly moving the goalpost to the right, constantly moving it downfield. We are now negotiating over sequester money. Right, right. That lower level of spending that no one on the Democratic side likes. So the sequester, and this is where you know Ross Duhat, let me just put in a plug for Ross Duhat, should be fired right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, because by conveniently, this is a New York Times op-ed columnist, Ross Duhat, who by conveniently ignoring the fact that the sequester was a disaster and this is entirely the Republicans fault. And the, and the sequester was a doomsday weapon that no one in their right mind was supposed to ever let detonate. And as an aside, I think it's the reason that Obama grew a pair of balls and, yeah. and will not negotiate anymore because yeah. he negotiated the sequester as a way to make sure that the Republicans cooperated and appointed people to the budget process. Mm-hmm. And then the sequester went into effect. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. We're just going to do because it. they got to take a meat axe to the government, which is right. what they want to do. Yeah. So the idea that that's they, a briar they negotiated patch, in bad faith is what it looks like, folks. But, but that is a part of the thing that we call the past. Yeah. And <laughs> apparently no one but liberals allowed to remember that yeah. what happened yesterday. So according to Ross Duhat uh, and all the people who are now reporting the story, um, the sequester was a great idea. The sequester showed what a, a compromise could look like. And I just, again, I'm, my head is getting tired from pounding it on the floor in, in pure frustration that no one is within arm's reach to slap that little son of a bitch. When he writes something like this, I, it is just offensive on so many levels that you're not allowed to remember what happened two weeks ago when that conflicts with what's happening today. And there are a few cracks in that right now. I mean, um, Carl Bernstein uh, did rise up in in righteous indignation about false equivalency, about this whole idea that we're going to blame both sides. That's that's everyone's been talking yeah. about the last couple of weeks. I kind of wonder if everybody's listening to the Professional Left podcast. Because... <laughs> we all do. <laughs> we've but, been talking about this for three or four years, you know. Oh, oh and we've been writing about it for eight years. 2010 is when we started this podcast. So yeah, but if, but if you dig back into our archives, oh yeah, the 2004, archives, 2005, yeah. you will find yeah. early, early, early. Just and again, this going. wasn't yep. neither of us sprung full, you know, fully formed from the head of, um, <laughs> from the head of uh, um, not John Dean, Howard Dean, Howard Dean. Yeah, um, we've been paying attention to politics our all, all of our adult lives. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of false equivalency and drawing the whole idea as as the false equivalency as a conservative trick 
that their media partners engage in constantly to keep moving the goalposts to the right because the right makes a staggeringly unfair, ridiculous demand. And the center, which is occupied by David Gregory and Tom Friedman and David Brooks, insists that the Democrats meet them halfway. And they just keep marching us to further and further to the right with the same centrist people looping the same thing over and over again as they forget that, no, no, what we're negotiating over now, two weeks ago, was psychotic and unreasonable by your own definition. Now it's okay because, frankly, it doesn't affect them. You know, th- Absolutely not. Yeah, I, this is the thing that I think is the reason that the public opinion polls have gone so strongly against the Republicans. When And a lot of people have just waken up to this is that all these comments about, well, I need my paycheck uh-huh. from a congresswoman from one of the Carolinas. I can't remember which one. You know, well, I need my paycheck. Well, yeah. what about the Park Service workers who are working without pay? Uh-huh. And this this bubble they live in is amazing. It, and it's a, it's the Washington that never shuts down. Yes, it never you know, no, because we're essential employees or we're part of the pundit class in D.C. And so no matter what you do, we'll have a paycheck. Chuck Todd will never go without a paycheck. David Brooks will never miss a meal. No. And all of the denizens who do their fundraisers and so forth at their Georgetown townhouses, Sally Quinn and Andrea Mitchell and Tina Brown will mm-hmm. always have a seat at the table in a designer dress. Mm-hmm. To, and and it goes without saying that they will they are the permanent overclass of what is basically Rome <laughs> these days. Yeah. And, and and there is it's no New York city or Washington. It's it's not the I hate using that word real America. It makes me sound like Sarah Palin. Mm-hmm. But there there, there are, are so Americas. There are twenty different Americas. But yeah. um, th- this is that this is that precinct of the nation's capital which no furlough will ever touch. Mm-hmm. And no shutdown will ever dampen. Yeah. Um, I did a little post today. I'm not going to force everyone to go over and read it. But I, I cracked myself up because I was looking for the right opening. And then I realized, oh, I, I know what the right opening is. Because Tina Brown is hosting this thing called the Heroes Summit. Summit. Which actually she did <laughs> a really good job. This is Thursday. We're recording this on Thursday and <laughs> Oh, happy, happy, happy birthday, birthday to your brother. Yeah. I want to say happy birthday to my stepdaughter. It was yesterday. Yeah. So, And she's in her 30s, which really freaks me out. But that's what happened. So. Anyway, okay. So, so I was I was looking for the right lead-in to this, you know, in the middle of the shutdown, they're having this um, this festival of honoring yeah. heroes. And Tina Brown, to her credit, to her, you know, I bash her as much as anybody, but to her credit, she asked John McCain a real question that he absolutely dove for cover when she when she asked. And I, I mentioned that in a minute, but I was looking for the right opening to discussing this this. David Brooks is taking a vacation from his vacation to come to Washington, D.C., where he lives, to sit at a summit and talk about heroes. <laughs> what does it mean to be a real hero, David Brooks? And I, and I just – and the image of him and Tina Brown and a bunch of other – there's a, several people on the panel I'd love to talk to. But this, this, this Aspen Institute – Davos crowd who never, nothing ever touches them. They have removed themselves so completely from normal human existence that they really don't give a shit when things shut down, except when it directly affects them. And I couldn't quite figure out the right opening, but then I realized, oh, it's been staring at me all along. The right opening is the Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal. Blah, blah, blah. Discussing the Red Death. Yep. But Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious. 
When his dominions were half depopulated, he summoned to his presence a thousand hale and lighthearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, and when they had retired to the deep seclusion of one of his castellated abbeys. And then he walls them off from the rest of the world. Yeah. He brings a bunch of his rich friends in, loads up the larder, stocks the wine, and walls himself off from the rest of the world. And that is fucking Washington. That is Andrea Mitchell, Tina Brown, Washington. None of this stuff that affects you and me. None of this stuff. You know, we spent some time this week on the exchange. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. We were so excited because it was podcastable yeah. that we lost our health insurance this yeah. week. <laughs> we're we lost our crazy. Health we are so crazy. Yeah. We got, let's talk about that because people are going to be upset. We got kicked off of Medicaid. The, the two of us did. The children did not. And I want to express appreciation for the state of Illinois and how they have handled what is a horrible budget deficit. And, yeah. you know, and, and, Yes, they walked into it, and past legislatures can be blamed and blamed. Mm -hmm. But when faced with, we have to make cuts to this program or the state will go bankrupt, they audited the program and made a priority that we will not throw children or the mentally ill off of Medicaid. But that means we, others have to go. That means that means we're not mentally ill, drift glass after yeah. all. <laughs> we're not children, blue gal. Yeah, so... Uh, we we answered their questions and proved we were married and on mm-hmm. and on, sent them what they needed. And they wrote back to us and we have insurance, health insurance to the end of October for yep. the two of us. Yep. And I'm still, I mean, I got onto the exchange and got a password and got so on and so forth. Got up to the point where I'm not sure whether the bud, the government shutdown is affecting uh, the, the exchange's yeah. abilities to verify people's identity. That kind of, I question that, but. Uh, I'm waiting for them to work out some of the bugs. I did talk to someone at the exchange hotline who was very helpful and very friendly, and I thanked her. Uh I talked to someone here in the state. Steve was his name. Hey, Steve. And he said, I I really wanted to find out how much longer do we have coverage, because clearly we're not on this list of covered people on the bill that I got. Uh We pay $10 a kid per month from now on for Medicaid, which is a bargain. Yep. Uh, and Steve said, he said right away, he said, you know, yeah, you're covered to the end of October, but you know, you can probably do really well on the Obamacare <laughs> exchanges. Yeah. And he called it that. And I thought, we, oh, we good. Know, we right. know that, Steve. So we know that, Steve. Cool so that. we're, and, and we're poor enough that we can, uh, probably get some subsidies and so forth. And I, I, being an IT person, I think you and I are very patient about, oh yeah, recognizing that there are yeah. 200,000 people an hour trying to get on this website. And I can clearly visualize the IT cave. Oh, absolutely. Where the support guys are just pacing, and they're mostly guys, let's face it. Oh, yeah. Mostly pacing back and forth, taking cigarette breaks every few minutes, and, and shouting at the fucking ceiling. Fucking users. We fucking told you so, man. <laughs> Here, let me take you. And there's, there's, there's spec documents, you know, they're design documents that are 40 yards long. And they can take you to page 72 where they said, this is where the problem started, man. We told these sons of bitches that if you design it this way, if you ratchet it in in such a way that you can't unratchet it, that you're going to be screwed. And the security – I just know these guys. I worked with these guys. I was this guy. We've all been in that situation. And to that point, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to bring up that Wolf Blitzer said on CNN – that, you know, maybe Obama should have taken the advice that people were giving him and delayed it a year. Shut up, Wolf. Well, and two things about that. One is, it, as much as both sides do, it pisses me off. Uh-huh. It 
pisses me off even more when it's just chess pieces on a game yeah. that you're going to delay for a year people's ability to get goddamn how, health insurance. How could that Shut hurt? Up. Yeah, exactly. How could that hurt? You know, well, because they're humans, Wolf. I know he doesn't yeah. strike you as such. Again, it's it's the mask of the Red Death. They they yeah. they they're so know. insulated that well, let's just delay it for a year. Yeah. For a and, million people? Are you kidding me? Well, and and just people to be that clear, are calling the exchanges crying. And just to be clear, yeah. we're you you and I are poor. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> our combined income doesn't come to a fifth of what I used to make. Yeah. Not even close. Um, we poe, uh, but we are very well educated. We are very lucky in in terms of of our background and our ability to cope with problems. We both worked in IT, and you spent a day, yeah, uh, pretty much life. a day online trying to ne- navigate your way through it. And we and, have a network of people I could email and say, you know, when was the best time? When did you get on? When was the best time to go? And, yeah. oh, you know, 930 at night and very early in the morning, you'll be able to get on. Just try then. And I did. And sure enough, you know, third shift. Try third shift. That's when everybody is not on this thing. OK. But we I mean, we lost poor people insurance. <laughs> yes, we did. And, and now we got we're slightly richer than poor people. insurance. Yeah, we, Only we literally, slightly. If I hadn't found that that change in the sofa cushion six yeah. months ago, right. we'd be under the threshold. It, it's just about that yeah, close. It, we, well, actually, there are two tiers. Uh, there's three tiers, and then you're off of Medicaid altogether. Yeah. There's the you're so poor that you get free medical care and parents are covered. Yeah. They, then there's the next level up, which is your kids are covered, but you have to pay $10 a month per kid. Yeah. And – uh, your parents aren't covered. Then there's the third one. I think it's something like $25 per kid or yeah. $50 per kid. Or it's like, yeah, you get this coverage, but we know you can afford to pay this much. Yeah. We are at that just above the free care for everybody in the family level. And we've been at the free care fam- for everybody. When I got divorced, I was automatically on Medicaid for everybody, yeah. including myself. So, um, you know, and, and we sound unreasonably sanguine about this yeah. right now because we know- we're we're, we're good at coping. Out. We're good but, at coping. We're both. Neither one of us is diabetic. No. Uh, you know, the kids are covered. Thank God. That's what we were, you know, really concerned about because yeah. they're on expensive medication. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, autism and ADHD is expensive. Believe it me. Is. It is. Uh, but we're going to make it. And we and have they both. And they all go skills. to excellent. Pu- they all go to excellent public schools. They have good support network. Absolutely. It's this is why I paid taxes as I was 17. Absolutely. This yep. is why, you know, but. But the, the fact of the matter is that we, the great wheel has turned and we both po. But yeah. the idea that there are people who are so much worse off than us. Oh, yeah. Well, and, even people, you know, this is something I mentioned to a group of, of church ladies I was talking to this morning. I don't think anyone in Washington, including the Obama administration, figured on the number of people who are paying COBRA yeah. through the nose. Yeah. To get health insurance who are going to go on the exchanges and say there was one guy who saved $13,000 a year yeah. on health insurance because the exchange is so much cheaper than COBRA. Oh, I was on COBRA after I was laid off from the last full-time job. I Last full-time, which was in 2007, <laughs> 8? 2008. 2008. Yeah. No, no, I'm sorry, 2009. My last day was the, my last day was the day Barack Obama was inaugurated. That's right. That's um, right. Uh, that was the last you... full-time day of work with benefits. Yeah. Right? At, wow. And my last... The day this is slightly ironic. The day I discovered I was going to be laid off, the day I found the new org chart on the copy machine, it didn't have your name on it. Didn't have my name on it, despite my bosses swearing that I was, was I wasn't going to be. That the day that Rob Lagojevich was arrested. No, no, that was the day oh. Barack Obama won. Oh wow! The day Barack Obama uh, 
the, I'm sorry, the week Barack Obama was uh, sworn into office and the day uh, Rod Blagojevich was uh, convicted, yeah. um, uh, impeached and convicted. Yeah. But it, it all happened in January 2009. I haven't had a full-time job since. And I believe me, I have tried and tried and tried. I know, I know everything there is to know about labor market and stuff. And I know how oh, an uphill fight. This is not me bitching about that. No, believe no. me, this is me saying um, I was on COBRA uh, for, yeah. and, I, and I didn't use it. Yeah. Even though I should have, because I was terrified. Yeah. I was terrified that my pre-existing condition would of asthma of asthma yeah. would automatically disqualify me because I, I any insurance. Yeah, two careers ago, I worked for the insurance industry. Yeah, I know how fucked up that place. You know, is. you know that your job in working for the insurance industry is to find pre-existing kick people conditions off. and kick people off. Absolutely. And before healthcare, I, I I was paying I was paying a lot of money for for uh, for. Uh, mortgage but i was paying almost that for cobra wow and yeah just for so myself it's your house for... or your health and, yeah. and people have been making that choice and and so i but i didn't i didn't take advantage of it precisely because i was want, sure yeah. that the minute a pre-existing condition was discovered i'd be tossed off and i would have spent all that and i have nothing so i was like saving it up for the one big emergency like okay i have insurance i guess i'm in a heart attack now or something and then they can throw me off after that but the idea that that's no longer a worry is is such a, a relief. But the idea that there's so many people worse off than us, millions and millions of our fellow Americans, so much worse off than us. Mm-hmm. And Wolf Blitzer stands there and just shrugs. And, well, wait another year. You know, so what's the big deal? So we shut the government down. Yeah, you know, uh, really, you know, that's uh, some parks and some shit like that. You know, and uh, let's just and these people have their hands wrapped around the throat of our media. No other Absolutely. message gets Absolutely. out but yeah. what these people want us to hear. And yeah. it is – and, so a- and so when you lose your job and you're paying COBRA, I was reading on one, one website that COBRA can be 130 percent of your unemployment benefit yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. some cases. It's you not know, even You close. are losing money yeah. uh, by paying for health insurance. And that's one of the reasons that the system has been so taxed is people are desperate for affordable health insurance. Yeah. And – well, you know, maybe we should just wait a year and work out the bugs. The other item that I wanted to bring up, and I have permission to quote Carolee. Ah, good. Uh, she, when she found out about this Wolf Blitzer quote about Obama should have taken advice that he was given and delayed Obamacare. Yeah. Um, this is what Carolee wrote. The irony, Wolfie and I were both present for the big launch of CNN.com. It was an ah. unmitigated disaster. Uh-huh. They had a paywall that didn't work, achingly slow portals, community software that crashed hourly. And by the way, the chat rooms were shared with Ted Turner's World Wrestling Federation chat channels. Imagine how that went. (laughs) Smooth as silk. And she says, finally, it took a long time to fix everything at CNN.com. A long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So... That's one of the reasons that we're kind of sanguine about this and not feeling panicky yet. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. I have I, I have worked. And, and both of us did think the same thing. Of, we'll be able to podcast about this. <laughs> well, and I, again, you and I have both worked in IT. I have worked on case management systems for yeah. large institutions fighting uphill against extraordinarily corrupt people who had rigged the bid in such a way that the crappy system was the one we got because that was the one that they wanted to retire to. Yeah. They wanted to, they wanted to, they rigged the, they, they rigged the bid, absolutely rigged the bid so that they would retire into the company that would provide support for that. Yep. The same people who wrote public policy were also writing 
Um, their own the, retirement plan. Their own retirement plan. <laughs> to the ruination of, of tens of thousands of people in this small population. But just, just having a system that's HIPAA compliant, that has all the security measures you need, that takes in all the information that you want, that shops for you, is such an incredibly daunting task. And it, it's, you know, I, I wish they could have had a soft launch for a month. Mm-hmm. I wish they could have had, you know, some really serious backbreaking testing in some small markets. Uh, but that's just not possible in some cases. You have to sort of roll out with what you've got. Um, I am sure they will fix it. I'm sure they will fix it um, in such a way that rather like the um, Hubble, <laughs> which was a disaster, <laughs> and then they figured out a way to fix it. I am sure that right now there are people working very long hours swearing freely uh, to get this thing working in a way that's acceptable to the clients. And that's as it should be. That doesn't trouble me in the slightest. Uh, what troubles me is the argument around health care. Yeah. The argument around Obamacare. The argument we're having over shutting the government down. You know, and, and, and today, uh, today on television, John Boehner, um, his idea of compromise was half a loaf, no. Quarter loaf, no. It was, I will keep the bakery shut down, but I promise not to nuke the world economy yeah. for another six weeks. So I'll, we'll postpone it until Thanksgiving. And that's his idea of compromise. And I will, having just dissed Tina Brown, <laughs> I got to say, yeah, I got to gotta gotta give her props. Um, she had John McCain on stage at this Heroes thing. And she, she and he was, being John McCain was like, well, you know, it was the Tea Party and they're, they're, they're crazies in the party and they're afraid of being primary from the right. And to her credit, Tina Brown said, you know, we talk about the crazy Republicans, but what about the moderate Republicans? And then she said, and I'm, it's a verbatim, it's a nearly as a verbatim quote as I could find. How do we get to the point where Mitch McConnell is Rand Paul's bitch? And there she was, said that. She yeah. said that. And where's the and she, it's, it, the conference is on heroism. Where's the heroism in your party, John McCain? Mm-hmm. Where are the moderates standing up to these people and telling them they have to stop it? Where's why are why aren't you people growing a set of balls and taking on the crazies in your own midst? And that moment was the moment when John McCain's phone rang. <laughs> I absolutely believe and will take to my grave the belief that he had a staffer sitting out there or his yep. wife or both with with all with six of seven digits dialed in. Yep. Waiting for the question that he should never be never allowed answer. to answer. Yep. And, and his the, chief his, of staff is has the button to push to turn off the interview. Yeah. And told him. And, and I, I if I had to bet, I'd bet that that text message said two things. It said, don't first, answer that. <laughs> Senator, don't you dare answer that question because John McCain would have leaped in the middle of it and hung himself. So it was somebody finally put a leash on him and told him not to do it. And number two, I'm guessing it said something to the effect of, what did I tell you about getting on stage with anybody but David Gregory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't handle John McCain. You cannot handle anyone interviewing you who's not giving you a hand job at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So. I know you think you can. I know maybe you thought you could 20 years ago, but those that ship has sailed, Malaka, and you are you are now a doddering idiot. So, but you're still the senior senator from our state. So, really, shut up. And what did he do? He took the he took the phone and bitched about it. Uh, and then he then he did what he always does when he lies. He crossed his little hands in front of him and said, well, my friends, my friends, yes. he says, well, my friends. And then he started talking about how Barack Obama is equally culpable. Yeah, because 
uh, Newt Gingrich didn't shut down negotiations with the president back when the government shut down before. There were constant negotiations with Newt Gingrich, so I don't understand why we can't have constant negotiations now. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact is Newt Gingrich didn't have a Tea Party caucus. No, he was the Tea Party he caucus. He was the Tea Party caucus. So you were actually negotiating in good faith with someone who didn't necessarily want to kill programs that his voters liked. No, he didn't want to destroy the government for the sake of destroying the government. He had nefarious plans and he was busy stooping someone and calling everyone else a lascivious asshole because he's a moral (laughs) man. But, you know, again, we we keep ratcheting to the right. Nixon now looks like Jefferson compared to the people we have now. And and Newt Gingrich is the new Rand Paul is now the is now the uh, calm centrist in the Republican Party. I mean, and, and again, standing back, you can't hold yourself aloof from this. Uh, for too long without just giving up on it as a as a bad job all the way around. But it just watching the way these guys are are just rocketing downhill, and the and the and our media is right next to them rocketing downhill every step of the way, trying to pretend that no, we're not plummeting downhill, we're sailing, we're flying. It's really not getting any worse because some hippie somewhere said something bad once. And so, as long as we can control the media, as long as the right wing. Uh, will get away with repeating the same message, Barack Obama's to blame, it's his fault, it's his fault. As long as there's people in the media who keep putting these clowns on stage and not doing what Tina Brown did, which is just bitch slap him, um, then we're going to continue getting the the crappy results we have. And and furthermore, uh the media will not put side by side the arguments that are being made today about the debt ceiling, which is the government has plenty of money. We aren't going to hit the debt ceiling. Everything's going to be fine because we take in revenue every single day. You wouldn't believe it. How my much God. revenue we take away from businesses every single day. Oh, my God. And John Boehner's comment in 2009, we're broke. We're broke. We can't afford it. We don't, All of the Republicans saying we can't afford food stamps and Head Start because we're broke. Well, and just, I mean, John Stewart had a great good time. Yes, he did. Just putting up John Boehner. Yeah. Saying, you know, from a minute ago. Yeah. Saying, you know, we, we had we were on we had a negotiation. We were having conversations. It was going fine. But then Obamacare came along and we and we shut the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. And he I mean, this is again, they, they have been immunized against saying silly shit in public that they're going to be called on because nobody ever calls them on it except people on Comedy Central. So the idea that no Barack Obama made us do it. You know, I, I said something today was a little over the top, but. Barack Obama is responsible for the shutdown in the same way that Jodie Foster was responsible for Reagan getting shot. <laughs> I never thought of it. And, you know, it, it's no, it's the crazy fucker with the gun that's responsible. No, 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 no. It's really equally. Jodie Foster is equally to blame. You know, that's that's the way. You know, what? And and the fact that you are not thrown off television, the fact that you are not grabbed by the collar and heaved out the front door for suggesting that this is in any way reasonable is how depraved we are. But. Again, the Republican Party, objectively, their <laughs> their popularity rating now is about twenty eight percent. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that number sounds awfully familiar. That's a that's a very familiar number. Twenty eight, twenty. Where have I heard that number before? Oh yeah, sometime back in uh, six or seven years ago, that was George Bush's popularity rating mm-hmm. uh, at the bottom of the Iraq War. Yeah. yeah. And. It so there's was, this core people that just will never admit they're wrong. And and you can identify them. It's literally 26 to 28% of the 
of the population of the electorate or, or whatever, however you want to cut it up. But there's a quarter of the people in this country, which is which, again, if you cut them in half, they're all Republican. Half the people in the GOP are fucking crazy, yeah. are absolutely irreducibly, irredeemably nuts. And and these are the I swear to you, the same people who thought George Bush was the greatest president who ever lived right up until they swore they never heard of the guy because then they have to take responsibility for things. And that's something they just don't do. Um, these are the same people. It's the same number. And and I don't know why that isn't the story, except for the fact that at some point you would have to start reporting that one of our two major political parties has lost its damn mind, in which case – and this is a question I really do wish would be asked because it, it's nothing that – I don't want to be confrontational, but if I were a guest on any of these shows, not being confrontational, but if I, if I were there, my question would be, OK, you guys play hypothetical experiments all the time. What if it were true that one of the two major political parties in this country were insane? I'm not saying they are because you're never going to report that. But if it were true, if I could prove to you that one of our two major political parties is really dangerously, criminally insane, what moral responsibility would you as a journalist have in this hypothetical situation? And watch them run like hell from that question. Yep. Because that's a question that no one in the media wants to answer because the minute they answer it is the minute they lose their job. And that's brings us right back to uh... well. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Homeland. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want I don't want a podcast about Homeland because we're only watching the first season so far, and you know that was a few years ago. We're not going to get uh, Showtime in order to podcast about this. We have to pay our ten dollars for health insurance for one of the kids. So sorry, no. <laughs> sorry, sorry, uh, Showtime. Your ten dollars has already gone to health insurance this yeah. month. Um, for one of the children. Anyway, uh, but we did watch the first season of Homeland and Carrie's uh, insane period yeah. where she's hospitalized yeah. and desperately, desperately needs a green pen. Yes. And there is logic in her own insane mind to what she's saying that, you know, green is really important to her. T- I'm sorry for the spoilers, but uh she goes crazy and she needs a green pen. Let me just put it that way mm-hmm. and gets really manic about needing a green pen. Yes. It really did remind me of Tea Party Republicans. Yes. That sense of, no, you don't understand. Barack Obama's the devil. Yes. He's the <laughs> he devil. He was born in Kenya. And if we don't stop him, uh, we're this is a holy war against Satan. You know, we're we're doing this for God. We want Barack Obama to not be president anymore. That's well, our goal. <laughs> and that and and there's the problem you you get yourself into when you you know this is this is simply um, the the poison fruit of that was sown in its seed form 30 years ago. This is why I made you know the joke at the top of the show about you know coming to you live from running down the middle of Main Street yelling "We told you so." Told you so. <laughs> One of the most amusing and incredibly irritating and ultimately I guess satisfying. Uh, things about watching the Republican Party just burst apart at the seams are the number of people who are now jumping on the liberal critique without ever mentioning the word liberal, ever. Well, and also, I I feel, I know that they have to tell a story. I deeply, deeply appreciate that journalists and pundits uh have to tell a story in order to communicate what they need to communicate. And I get that. Uh And that's why it's so easy to fall into a trap of both sides, because you can then just talk about the story between the two sides. But changing this from both sides do it to this is a war within the Republican Party. Yes. uh, 
while that is progress, you are still trapped by not understanding how the old guard Republicans enabled the crazy, the really yes. crazy extremists yes. all along. Yes. <laughs> and no, that this... they fell into this hole together. <laughs> Billie Jean is not their lover. <laughs> you know, th- 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 this is this is absolutely Jon Snow. This is absolutely yeah. Yeah. complete disavowal on the part of the one generation ago Republican and conservatives who are now part and parcel of our media and political infrastructure completely in denial about the fact that they created this monster. They sired this monster. They built it from scratch using the ingredients that were available. They And they did it as crazy-ass liberals like you and me for 30 years. We're standing on the sidelines going, you're going to be sorry. You're going to be sorry. Little Red Hen is going to come for your ass. You are going to be sorry. You're going to build a monster. It's going to turn on you. Please do not make a concoction out of bigots and theocrats and expect it to end well. And there was an entire infrastructure of conservative think tanks, conservative intellectuals, conservative op-ed columnists who spent 20 years pretending those people didn't exist. And they spent the next five or six years pretending they were just an anomaly. They were just some sort of freak out fringe. They were just some rounding error. And anyway, hippies are bad, too. I mean, look at Abby Hoffman, for God's sakes. Who was never elected to Congress, people. And now that... Everything liberals told you was going to happen has happened in spades, on fire, bringing the whole system down. Those same moderate, reasonable conservatives are are standing there like the Home Alone kid going, oh, my God, where did all these crazy people come from? And how do we get rid of them? And what happened? And, you know, the, the liberals are still bad, too. But, you know, oh, golly, golly, what do we do? And the sheer level of anxiety, I feel, or frustration, I feel, or exhilaration, depending on the day, it literally does depend on the day, of saying, okay, is it possible for one minute, like like happened during the Iraq war, when the Iraq war finally bottomed out, mm-hmm. and it turned out that, that the crazy liberals were right. For about two minutes, they allowed liberals on, on television. You could actually see Marcos Molitsis um, from Daily Coast on, on the uh, Meet the Press. For one minute, they let liberals on television. Then they just buried them. <laughs> Then we were gone. And the idea that the Iraq war was a transient thing. It was a terrible tragedy. It was a horrible mistake. It was a war crime. It was a disaster. But it was a transient thing. What we are seeing now is the the full fruition of the conservative program for America, the modern conservative movement coming to full flower right in front of your eyes exactly as liberals told you was going to happen. It would be fucking nice if somewhere – Somebody like David Brooks, somebody like Andrew Sullivan, who is now basically writing a liberal column, mm-hmm. would yeah. bother to mention that, you know, in all this hue and cry and fire and smoke and disaster and the sky is falling shit, there actually was a group of people who were right about the Iraq war and were right about NAFTA and were right about GATT and were right about George Bush. And they were right about conservatives all along. And however smelly they are and however much they stink of patchouli and however, <laughs> however raggedy their beards are and how much pot they might smoke. They were actually right about all this, and everyone else was fucking wrong. And that day will never happen, and I accept the fact that it will never happen. But there's a certain weird sensation of watching what you were warning about come true before your eyes and watching the people you were warning you were warning all that time freaking out that, you know what? The sky finally fell. Yep. <laughs> and that's why I spend a lot of time shrugging these days yeah. because yeah. what are you going to tell me that I wasn't writing 10 years ago? I know. You know? I know. Yeah. Anyway, 
On that happy stop note. Now. we got to stop now. We do. I have to go pick someone up at school. Yeah. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an internet kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's internet kitty is Salvador. And you can bet that he melts clocks with his stare. <laughs> I am Salvador. You just know it. You can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. We love hearing from you. I am getting caught up on my snail mail thank you notes, but mm-hmm. I had to spend a day on the Obamacare <laughs> website this week. Yes, and not log off and not do and anything not log else. Off. No, I had to just sit there and wait for the screen to come up. Refresh, refresh. Refresh. Feel free to write us. Again, we love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service Go Postal Union's letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. So, Driftglass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties have wisely shifted most of their investments from T-bills into pre-taxed pot. We've got to get it before they start taxing it, you know. They do, they do. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, lovey dovey. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Life Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2013. Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Jeff Glass. Okay, we're going to do Science Fiction University now. And um, our friend Ken H. got really mad at me (laughs) in a good way, in a joshing way. He asked a very similar question to the one that Daniel asked and that I had previewed last week uh-huh. and I told him I don't know if I want to ask that question because it might offend some of our listeners to get into the controversy of whether a science fiction writer or movie is overrated or not yes and he said you know when I previewed Daniel's question he said I asked that question a month ago and you didn't want to ask it so what are you afraid of blue guy yeah really oh the really. man the big science fiction man coming down uh-huh. on you like a ton of bricks uh-huh. a ton of Gold-pressed latinum, huh? Yeah. huh? <laughs> All right. So um, name the five most underrated science fiction writers, in your opinion. Science fiction writers, in my opinion. Ten years ago, I would have said Philip Dick. Uh, but movies have changed all that. They really have. Philip Dick's vision of the future is now pretty much all they film in science fiction. So uh, lots of people know who Philip Dick is. Uh, uh NY nickname, I'm, I'm getting that wrong, but tweeted me that Philip Dick, uh, do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and we will remember for you wholesale, I think. We're in the New York Times crossword puzzle. Yeah. So yeah. Philip Dick yeah. has definitely arrived. Um, uh, Cordwainer Smith, not underrated, but, but forgotten. I think I'm not really, there's a million science fiction writers out there right now who I'm, and I'm really, I'm tapped out of the genre. I, I, I cut way back on it back in the, late 80s early 90s and uh it it just it got too apocalyptic and too depressing and too short-term or um derivative or required that you commit to a tetralogy that i had no interest in doing so um but i would say uh cordwinner smith spider robinson one of my personal favorites spider robinson lost to the mists of time the uh who was going to be and really was for a long time the the next robert heinlein snappy smart writer very humane uh, Octavia Butler. I really do yeah. wish Octavia Butler would get more play. Uh, there's a movie out now called uh, 12 Years a Slave. Um, <laughs> and I swear, if you 
just based on the previews, if you read that and, and read Kindred, um, they're awfully close in the way that they are absolutely photographically accurate portrayals of what slavery was really like. And uh, nobody else was doing what she was doing, and, and she is greatly missed. And I think that's four or five. I looked up on uh, the internet some yes. lists of underrated science fiction authors. One one that made the list is John Brunner, author yeah. of Stand on yeah. Zanzibar. John Brunner's a wonderful. Which is one of your book, one of your favorites, or yeah. one you've mentioned many, really many times. Really good writer. Really, yeah. really good writer. And yeah. and there's just some there's something about I forget the name of the inventor, and that this is sort of ironic that that would happen. Who is <laughs> this is going to kill me for not remembering this. Who who invented a whole bunch of stuff and is is completely forgotten by history. He you know he missed. It's sort of like the Nikol Tesla, except people know who Tesla was. Yeah. The guy who really did get there first and really was writing good stuff and really was sort of cranking on the the uh, the the time that was was a little too ahead of his time, or a little too behind his time, but never ever got the credit. Uh, and John Brunner's like that. His, his work is wonderful. It's it's predictive. It's well written, and nobody has it on their lists to read in class anymore, which mm -hmm. is a shame. Uh, another one that made two uh, lists is Edwin Abbott, the author of Flatland. I assume he's long dead. That's yeah. a that's an old book. And do you know Lee Brackett? Lee Brackett, yeah. She yeah. she wrote she wrote for television. Uh -huh. She wrote for all kinds of things. She yeah. co-wrote the screenplay for Empire Strikes Back. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. All over the place. And yeah. Uh, yeah. just a very good writer. The um, the writers who were doing The Twilight Zone were sort of like that. The, the, mm -hmm. the folks who were um, really good in their own right but often didn't break out produced really good science. So, you know, uh, uh, Rod Serling. I had paperback books of Rod Serling's short stories because they he sort of cleaned up the, 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 the scripts and printed them as science fiction stories. And they're very good. So uh, you don't think of Rod Serling as a science fiction writer, mm -hmm. but he certainly was. Another one that was on two of the lists I saw was Joe Halderman. Yeah, Joe Halderman. The Forever, the War, the Forever, the Forever War, War and Earthbound. And uh, apparently, according to this list, Ridley Scott has decided to adapt the book to the screen. I'm not going to see it until it has the director's super, 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 yeah. super cut. <laughs> All nine hours in IMAX. Yeah, it. right. Then I'll watch it. <laughs> Walter Miller is also overlooked. He had several stories, but he wrote a canticle for Leibowitz. So he wrote sort of the, um, the to kill. That was his to kill a mockingbird. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That was the one that everybody reads. But then he, I believe he uh, committed suicide. He, he had this great novel and then there were, I'm not, I'm not trying to draw a line between the two, but no. writers often end poor or sad or tragic, but he, he produced a great novel, a truly great novel, a canticle for Leibovitz. Have and, you ever read any Charles L. Fontenay? No. The Silk and the Song, Rebels of the Red Planet? Okay. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how having three kids around that need yeah. you to read to them <laughs> cuts off? Yeah. All right. Uh, but my wife is reading me a great story by Neil Gaiman. Yeah, it's called Fortunately the Milk. Yeah. It's a children's book, but it's hilarious. You guys should check it out. It's it's very funny. I'm catching it on the deflection. You alone. are. <laughs> You're a real good reader, and it's a really good story. And, and it's very funny. Yes, it really is. Well, and it, Neil Gaiman has a certain style, and you really can spot it. And that's a good thing in his case. Yes, it is. Do you do you want to get into the muck of who is an overrated science fiction writer? Ah. <laughs> Michael Crichton. <laughs> the later works of Michael Crichton. Okay. <laughs> uh, pretty much everything that's Star Trek universe I just don't know who wrote that. I'm sure there's good stuff in there. I just 
I can't, I cannot get um, sucked into the novelization of a TV show. Right. Uh, there's been some very fine stuff written by very fine authors. I think um, Norman Spinrad wrote some, I think. David Gerald, I think, wrote a few. He's a perfectly good writer. But I just could never understand why I would do that. There's a million other things to choose from on the great big science fiction tree. Why would I pick one more episode of Star Trek to read about? Well, and especially if... If, you know, one of the things that the new movie did that was awesome was open up the universe to different rules. And when you have to read TOS Star Trek novels that follow the Bible where no one, yeah. no significant, you know, crew member can get killed. No one can change form or be married or have, you know, everyone has to remain exactly the same. Or be it bad. Yes, you know? boring. Yeah, it really does. It's really boring. It really, really does. Um, All right. Overrated science fiction movie. You want to do Tron. overrated or Tron. underrated? Tron. <laughs> Tron. Overrated science fiction movies. Fern Gully with Sex is a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Avatar. It's called Avatar. Avatar which <laughs> but, used to be called The Word for World is Forest by yeah, Ursula Le Guin. Ursula Le Guin, yeah. Um, but she, uh, they scraped the uh, serial numbers off of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. In Time came and went. We watched that. I didn't. And no, then we. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We didn't. I did. I watched no. it to the end. You, uh. Uh, source code was the one I I was that you and I went to go see. I didn't see. Yeah, it but time. I watched in time on television, and it was pretty forgettable. Forgettable, yeah. Um, and we we tried to watch the fountain. Yeah. For like eight or nine minutes, we tried to watch the fountain. Maybe once I'm a better person. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Is in it, and it's supposed it's been on lists of people saying. Beautiful. This is the one that nobody's thing. seen and everybody has to see. It's so awesome. It's so life changing. Yeah. And I just what I was, what's happening? We didn't even we couldn't ex, I couldn't understand it at all. Well, I, I was I mean, I'm willing to follow um, a good story as long as it grabs me. And 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 it might very well be that it, it's my bad palate and I can't follow it. But I was scarred as a young man by Jonathan Livingston Seagull. <laughs> so I can't really get off on. Those kind of movies um, that are that that muse on the cosmic questions mm -hmm. um, without a plot. Yeah. Um, and I kept waiting for the plot to kick in, and it never did. And all I remember are people floating in a great big starry sky, which is always beautiful, and I can get that at any planetarium. I'm not insulting it. If you yeah. loved it, that's great. I'm sure it's my fault that I can't, you know, appreciate the great this great movie for what it is. But there are certain movies that I just I don't I don't. Uh, they, they just aren't my taste. They're not my cup of tea, and this is one of them. So go and enjoy it. And, uh, Bichocio, you can write me a nice long letter about how about I – What it really meant. What you need to do, man, <laughs> is watch The Hollow Crown for about nine hours and then jump into this, and it will all make sense, which might very well be true. There are lots of things I didn't get uh -huh. until later. Um, there's lots of books I started. I mean I read half of Shakespeare before I was 17 and didn't understand a half of it. Until I was in my 30s and 40s. And, oh, I get it. This is what middle age angst is about. This is what your dreams are in ashes. This is what not being able to decide what right action is. This is, oh, I get it. I, get, I didn't get that in high school, but I get it now. So maybe I just need a few more years under my belt. But I didn't uh, quite... Did you ever watch any of Cloud Atlas? No. No, I didn't. No, no I, just I just went. I, I'm going to be neutral in the Cloud Atlas wars. <laughs> So I didn't go see that. No, again, right. this is this is a matter of because that made it onto lists of best pictures and the worst pictures, and it's. I just said okay. Well, I, I applaud. We were talking the other day with eldest son mm -hmm. about um, 
when is something so bad it's good? Yes, yes. And, and and I think we agreed that it has to be you have to aim really high and miss spectacularly yep. on every front. You know, this is why um, um, Plan Ninth Matter Space was so awesome because it blew it so completely in every every sense of the word. It was bad acting, bad special effects, bad camera work, bad plot, bad everything. It was just bad, bad, bad. And 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 it was made with such sincerity. But there's some that are just bad and some that just don't – I just don't retain. I'm trying to cram in some Spider-Robinson novels, Isaac Asimov on religion, and 20 other books that people have sent us. There you go. And yeah. they have been sending us a lot of books. We especially want to thank Raymond again. He sent us a box of books, including Isaac Asimov's Guide to the Bible, which yeah. we did not own. No. We, we needed shocking. that book. So it, it, it's, it's the perfect – middle of the Venn diagram. It is for both of us. (laughs) So thank you for that. And thank you, Drift Class, very much. A pleasure. We'll be back next week with some actual trivia questions. Yes, we will. (laughs) Maybe.